Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Thank you for joining us on the Defender Bible Study Podcast. My name is Chris Johnson. I serve as the National Director of Church Partnerships at Lifeline Children's Services. Today, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter number 15, verses 22 through 33. Romans chapter 15, we're going to be looking at the uh, last half of this chapter. We're nearing the end of our study in Romans. Uh, We're getting really to the point today where Paul Uh, is now beginning his concluding remarks. He's kind of getting ready to wrap this book up and uh, this letter up to the the Romans. Um, As we have seen, Paul has such a deep love for the church at Rome, which is which is kind of unusual because he's not actually been there. He's never actually been to Rome yet. He has not been able to go and join them. And we see over and over again through uh, his letter, his desire and his heart is to go and to be there with them. Um, but we do see that that he know, he knows people that are there in Rome. Uh, some of these people he has met on his on his various missionary journeys in different places. And as we're going to see in chapter sixteen, uh, the next time that we that we come to Romans, um, he has a heart that just longs to visit them, and and he wants so much to carry the gospel to the people at Rome. And so uh, he wrote this letter to the church there at Rome from Corinth as he is uh, at the end of his third missionary journey and uh, wrapping up that that journey as we're going to look at and talk about uh, some here today. There are a few things that are important to remember about Paul. Uh, that I think are really relevant to the, the the discussion today and to this portion of scripture that we're going to look at today. And the thing to remember about Paul is that he was he was confident in his calling, and his calling from God was to be a church planning missionary. Uh, he really was kind of that entrepreneurial type. He would he would go to cities, he would go to regions where there there was not a church already established most of the time. If the, if it was, it was a very small group of people, very small, maybe a house church. But he would go to those places where the gospel witness was just beginning to. To, to flourish and bud, and he would he would preach to those places. He would reach people, and then he would plant churches and strengthen and build those churches. He would get those churches started and get those churches going, and then he would look for another region. He'd go to another place where the gospel had not yet been taken. And so uh, his heart and his desire was that that it, the ministry would not be tied to him, but that he would be able to start local churches that would then engage with their community, with their uh, their region, wherever they were, and that those churches would then saturate their community with. The gospel. Uh, he didn't have a problem with people that were called to be pastors, elders, leaders to stay in those places. He he gives a lot of instruction. He has great relationships with uh, different people like James and Titus and Timothy and those that would stay and be pastors of those local congregations. He would equip them and he would serve them. But that wasn't Paul's calling, which I think is really important. I think it's important that we that we recognize God's call on our life, and it may look different from someone else. Uh, it may look different from someone that that we respect and that we value. Uh, but don't get wrapped up in thinking, man, I want to be like that person. I want to do what they're doing. Uh, finding our, our place in the kingdom of God and in the body of Christ, I think, is so important. Uh, again, we've seen that in Romans, Romans chapter 12, finding our place, our spiritual gifts, and serving out of our spiritual giftedness. And Paul certainly did that. He was confident in his calling. He knew that uh, he was called to, to start new ministries, to start new works, to go where the gospel had not yet been preached, and to proclaim the good news of Christ, and uh, and then oftentimes move to other 
other places. Uh, when he, we're going to see in this passage, even when he was in his older age, he was probably around 60 when he was writing this letter to the church at Rome. He still had a vision for getting the gospel just to all the known world. Uh, we're going to see he wanted to go even beyond, not only go to Rome, but he wanted to go beyond even to the to the outskirts of, of the world that they that they knew. And so uh, let's look today, Romans chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verses 22 uh, through the end of the chapter, verse 33. And this passage today can be broken up into two different parts. First of all, we're going to see Paul's plans. Paul's plans. We're going to see that in verses 22 through 29. And then second, we're going to see Paul's plea. We're going to see that in verses 30 through 33. So Paul's plan and then Paul's plea. Let's first look at Paul's plans uh, in verses 22 through 29. And I'll read it. You follow along with me. Uh, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they are able to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ." As we read these verses again, we just we see Paul's heart as a church planner, Paul's heart uh, for people, Paul's heart for getting the gospel to the world. Uh, there in verse number 22, we see that just this uh, this work of planting churches, it has kept him busy. It's, it's kept him from being able to get to Rome because he has been busy doing what God has called him to do in the regions in which God has called him to do that. Uh, and God has not yet allowed him to make this trip to Rome. Of course, we again are able to look back at this from, from a perspective of seeing uh, what all is going to happen in the future. But Paul uh, had a heart for Rome, but yet it just God had just not in his providence and his sovereignty at this point had not yet uh, allowed him to make that journey, to make that trip to, to Rome. In verse number 23, uh, we see that that he has, again, been faithful to this task that God has given him in this region, primarily of, of the area of Macedonia and Achaia and that uh, that Mediterranean region of, of Greece and those those areas. Uh, he's been faithful to that. He's completed the work that God's called him to do there. Now, this Paul's not saying that every person there has come to know the Lord, and so there's no longer any work to be done. But he is saying that his role has been completed, that he's been faithful to what God has called him to do, and it's time now for him to move on. To a new area of ministry. There have been churches that have been planted in this area, uh, has, has, now has a good presence of churches that are, that are proclaiming the gospel, that are proclaiming that good news. And so Paul says, my, my time here has ended, and it's now time for me to move on to the next phase of ministry. So then in, in verse number 24, again, he kind of gives, uh, insight into his desires and into his heart. And he expressed this desire to go to Spain. Uh, and of course, Spain was was on the outskirts of, of the whole Mediterranean region, all the way uh, to the west. It was an area that was pretty much untapped spiritually. But yet, because of the system of roads that Rome had built and the uh, the passageways over water and all those different things, it was beginning to grow, it was becoming a cultural center. And so Paul had a desire to, to go to Spain and preach and proclaim the gospel. We don't ever have record in God's word that Paul made it to Spain. There are some historians that say that he probably made it there during a, a brief time 
time that he was released before uh, before his death that he might have made it there, but we don't have any uh, conclusive understanding from God's word that he did, but that was his heart and his desire. But he said there in, in verse number 24, that he wanted to, on his way to Spain, he wanted to stop and be able to see them. And, and he said there that he, that he wanted to be helped on my journey there by you. Uh, and this, to be helped shows this, again, his desire for them to be a part of that mission with him, for them to be on mission together with him. Uh, maybe this would be by providing supplies and things that would help him on his journey. Maybe it would be to, to provide people that would join him on this mission. And that was so often the case as Paul would uh, would, would plant churches and be in churches, and those churches would, would join him in mission by sending supplies and by sending people out of their congregation, out of their body to join him. And so Paul recognizes, again, just the value of not doing ministry alone, not being a loner in ministry, but he wants to to uh, provide the opportunity for the church there at Rome to be a part of this mission to take the gospel to unreached peoples and take the gospel into places that it has not yet been proclaimed. Uh, he then he says that that uh, he wants to visit them so that they can help him on his journey. And then and then he once I have enjoyed your company for a while, then I will continue on. And again, just it reiterates Paul's understanding of just the importance of relationships. Um, you know, he said, I, I, I long for your company. I long to enjoy your company uh, for a while. Just he longed for the refreshment, for the joy that comes from having people to walk with you in ministry. And uh, man, what a what a great admonition for each of us that we would, again, not be loners, but that we would seek out people to uh, engage with us, that we would recognize the value of relationships and locking arms together with other Christ followers to be able to be refreshed and encouraged. And that we would also be willing to be that refreshment and courage in the life of others. Um, we, as we, as we see and understand those that are in different roles in ministry, and maybe it's as a church planner, maybe it's as uh, a, a, a kind of, the, again, this entrepreneurial ministry spirit, maybe it's a family that's engaging in ministry to the vulnerable, kind of those on the front line, that we would seek to be that refreshment for them, that we would seek to come alongside those that are engaged in different types of ministry, and that we would recognize the value of us engaging with them and supporting them and encouraging them. Uh, Paul recognizes, we can see here, both the value of physical support, tangible support in resources and money and, and help and those kind of things. But I think even more so, and, and just as at least as equally as much, he sees the importance of relational support, uh, the importance of, of relationships and the body of Christ coming alongside uh, to do ministry and to accomplish God's purposes and his plans. In verses 25 through 27, he tells them that before I head to Spain, that's ultimately where I want to go, uh, I've got to head back to Jerusalem, which is kind of out of the way, pretty uh, pretty heavily out of the way from where he was at. It would have been very easy to just continue on. But he had made a, made a commitment to the church there at Jerusalem, and as he had been traveling on this missionary journey, he had been collecting funds. He had been collecting an offering from the different churches, the Greek churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, he had been collecting this offering that he now needs to take back to Jerusalem. So his heart is to go to Rome. His heart is to go to Spain. But he recognizes that God's plan for right then and there is for him to first go back to Jerusalem, that his work is undone there, uh, that he still has things that he has to accomplish and needs to do in, in taking this offering back uh, to to uh, Jerusalem. It would have been very easy for Paul to have been frustrated at that and to kind of look at the needs of the poor as something that was an inconvenience uh, and something that was causing him to go out of his way and causing him to, to, to be deterred from what he really wanted to do. And 
gosh, how many times in our own lives, in our own ministry, do we have that same kind of attitude where we kind of, man, I, I want to go do this and we have good motives and we really want to serve the Lord. We want to go in this area. And God says, I want you to stop and I want you to think about those in need. I want you to think about those who are, who are vulnerable, those who have needs. And I want you to put your ambitions on hold so that you can go and serve others. And I wonder if we maintain the same attitude that Paul did in that. Uh, we see in verse number 25, Paul's attitude about that. He says, at present, However, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. And the word bringing aid there, the Greek word that, that's actually in the original here is, is the word diakoneo. Uh, diakoneo, you may, you may know that word diakonis is, is a deacon, which is a servant. And so he literally is saying that, that I long to go to Spain. I long to come see you. But first, it's important that I go and serve the vulnerable in Jerusalem. It's first important that I go and serve the church there. And, and this offering was an act of service for, on Paul's behalf, but also an act of service on behalf of those churches that had been faithful to give to the needs of the church at Jerusalem. And so Paul doesn't look at this as an inconvenience. He doesn't look at this as something that's getting in the way of ministry. He looks at this as a ministry opportunity. He looks at this as an opportunity to serve the body of Christ there in that, in that, in that city, in that community. And so he is faithful to do what God has called him to do. May we have that same attitude when sometimes inconveniences are put in our way and sometimes uh, we're called to, to step out uh, of what we think is the goal and what we think we're trying to accomplish. We can learn a lot more about this offering that had been received by looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And for time's sake, we won't go there today, but I would encourage you to, if you want to kind of get a better picture of what this offering meant and the sacrifice that was made to, to accomplish this offering, the things that were done there uh, on behalf behalf of this, these Greek churches, on behalf of the church at Jerusalem, uh, you can take a look there at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. But as, as Paul uh, really is, is talking about this, this need to go back and serve these churches in Jerusalem, he really takes a moment to kind of to kind of brag on these churches for being willing to, to give sacrificially to their brothers and their sisters in Jerusalem. And so as he kind of talks about this, it should provide some good ammunition for us as well uh, as we see what these churches did. And so just, just a few things to note about this offering that I think could be applied in our lives as well. Uh, this offering, first of all, it was an expression of love for the brethren. It was an expression of love for the brethren. These these folks in these in these churches throughout Macedonia, throughout that region, they had never met the people in Jerusalem for the most part. They didn't know these people, but but when they heard the need, they had a, a love within them that was there because of what God had done for them, what Christ had done for them, and the just the commonality of being brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, this love compelled them to act. This love compelled them to give. And so may we too, may we be willing to give to others out of a heart of love, out of a heart of compassion. Uh, may we be willing to support those maybe that we've never even met. Maybe we've never had the opportunity to sit down and have a meal with them. But when we hear the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ around the world or in situations outside of our sphere of, of influence or outside of our circle of relationship, may we have a heart that is tender and have a heart that out of love and out of compassion is willing to support and engage and do what is best for others, uh, even that we maybe have not met. When we hear of the the needs of Christ followers around the world. What does it what does it do to our heart? Does it compel us to move to action? Are we willing to um, to, to do what is necessary? And even even at the at the cost of our own comfort, are we willing to give to support others in need? 
So this offering was an expression of love for the brethren. Number two, this offering provided for the needs of the poor and the vulnerable. This offering provided for the needs of the poor and the vulnerable. He talks here about uh, this offering being an offering for the the poor there, uh, the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And so again, when we hear of brothers and sisters in need, may we give out of an abundance of God's blessings to us to be able to meet the needs of others. God has been good to us. And, and there may be times where, where we things may be tight for us as well, but is, are we willing to, to give out of the blessings that God has put in our life? Are we willing to give out of the abundance of those blessings to be willing to meet the needs of the poor, the needs of the vulnerable, the needs of others? Uh, this offering would be used to provide immediate relief uh, to many who were facing persecution, to many who were suffering. Uh, there was great persecution going on uh, there. We, we know that through through the book of James and other places, uh, this persecution was causing people to scatter. And so this offering would provide just some immediate relief and support and tangible care to those who were suffering. So when we hear of the needs of the poor and the vulnerable, are we willing to step in and allow God to use us uh, to be the solution there? This offering was an expression of love for the brethren, uh, provided for the needs of the poor and vulnerable. And then ultimately, this offering helped bring unity to the church. It helped to bring unity to the church. It's important to remember that that these, these believers who gave this offering, these were primarily Gentile believers who were giving to a group of primarily Jewish believers. Uh, and so this unity between Jew and Gentile, it was, it's this great mystery that, that Paul talked about in the book of Ephesians when he was writing about the, the veil being, being removed and the wall being broken down and there no longer is difference between Jew and Gentile, but, but now they're all together as one body of Christ. And so this offering was an opportunity for them to, 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 to recognize the unity that is needed, uh, between people of, of different backgrounds, between people of different ethnicities, between people People of different cultures uh, to be able to come together as one body of Christ. Uh, in, this, in this new young church, there was no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. And this offering provided an opportunity for them to, uh, to affirm that and to show how much they believed in that and how important that was to them. This, it provided the opportunity for the Church of Christ to show unity. And ultimately, it provided that opportunity to bring them closer together. In, in verse number 26, we, we've got an interesting word here. It says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. When we read that, we read the word contribution. Again, we know in our vernacular English kind of what that means. It's a it's a gift. But in the original Greek there, it's the word koinonia. The word koinonia. And you may, you may, you may be familiar with that word. And we oftentimes see that word translated as fellowship. And so I think the reason that this word is used here is it's the idea, again, that this offering, that this gift, this contribution, it was a, it was a sign of partnership. It was a sign of fellowship. Um, it shows the, the Greek church's desire to join the Jerusalem church, to join them in their sufferings, to join them in fellowship with them in their sufferings. It's a willingness for them to take on their burden and take on uh, the struggle that they are facing and to be a part uh, of that and to recognize, again, just this beautiful beautiful picture of fellowship among the body of Christ. And again, may we be willing to provide for the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of differences in race, differences in ethnicity, differences in geography or, or culture. May we recognize the value of partnership and fellowship. May we be willing to take on ourselves the burden of suffering when we hear of that in our brothers and sisters in Christ, even in other parts of the world or even across the street from where we live even right now. 
Verses 26 and 27 tell us that, uh, that they were glad to do this. This was not something they did begrudgingly. Uh, this is something they were, they were excited and glad to be able to do. And then Paul, as an extension, was so glad to be able to go and take this offering, deliver this offering as an act of service to the church at Jerusalem. Uh, these Gentile believers, they recognize, um, this, this idea of the spiritual debt that they owed to the Jewish believers. It was the church at Jerusalem that had sent out missionaries. It was the church at Jerusalem that had sent out Paul. Paul and others to proclaim the, the good news of the gospel. And so this, these Gentile believers recognized that they, uh, they had a debt to them. They had a spiritual debt. And the least that they could do to, to meet this spiritual debt was at least to be able to serve them in a physical sense and to serve them by meeting their physical needs. Um, as I think about this, this, this story and read through this, this passage, my mind kept going back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, which says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. These churches in Macedonia and Achaia, they had opportunity. They saw the opportunity to do good to their brothers and sisters, to those who were of the household of faith, and they were willing to allow God to use them in this way. And uh, and they, they gave willingly and they gave sacrificially so that others could be blessed and be encouraged. We continue down verse, verse number 28. Uh, Paul says here that after he will deliver the offering, his desire again is then to, to go to Spain to continue to proclaim the gospel. Verse number 29, he expresses really a confidence that, that God would allow this to happen. He says there, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He said, I, I believe this is going to happen. There's going to be a time where I'm going to come to you. And over and over again, we see Paul's willingness just to trust in God's sovereign plan, to trust in, in, in God's sovereignty. And uh, his eventual trip to Rome, he eventually would make it to Rome, and but it certainly wouldn't look like what he thought it would look like. It would look completely different from what he expected and probably what he was thinking when he sit, sat and wrote this letter to the church at Rome. It probably had a much different perspective on what he thought that trip was going to look like. Uh, the last part of the book of Acts tells us how this eventually would happen, how Paul would eventually make it to Rome, but it would be through much tribulation. It would be through much pain. Uh, he would certainly need their refreshment. He would certainly need their support. I would say even more than he realized at this time that he would need their support, that he would need their encouragement. So we see Paul's plan. We see the desire of God's heart or Paul's heart in verse 22 to 29. And now in the last few verses, verses 30 through 33, we see Paul's plea. We see Paul's plea. Let's read these verses together. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He says there at the verse, beginning of verse number 30, I appeal to you. Um, I, I, the New King James really kind of gives this an even better understanding. He says, I beg you, I plead with you, I beg of you. I have something um, that I've expressed my love to you. I've poured out my heart to you. I've expressed the good news of the gospel to you. But now I have an urgent request of you. I've given you, but now I'm going to ask something uh, from you all. And I, and I, am, and I am begging you uh, to join me in this. And so his plea, what, what is he asking for? What is he begging for? His plea is that they would earnestly lift him up in their prayers, that they would go before the Lord on his behalf. Uh, Paul, very clearly, as we see through all of his writings, Paul knew the power of prayer. 
uh, he knew that, that God works according to the prayers of his people. And prayer was something that was very important to Paul. Prayer was something that he taught regularly to, uh, to the church and to the Christ followers, that the importance of prayer and the importance of, of looking to God for strength, the importance of looking to God for sustenance. He knew that the greatest thing that these Roman believers could do for him wasn't to pay his bills, wasn't to provide transportation, wasn't to, 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 to set up uh, buildings for him to meet in. The greatest thing that these Roman believers could do for him was to passionately pray for him, was to lift him up before the Lord. In verse number 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, by everything that I that I believe in, everything that I know of, I am pleading with you that you strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Strive together. It's, it's the, the Greek word here is soon agonizomia. Soon agonizomi. That's it. Soon agonizomi. The word soon, the prefix soon, is it means with. So it means to join together. Agonizomi is to agonize. You hear that agony in that in that word. It's to agonize, to struggle, uh, to labor fervently. And so the idea soon agonizomi with uh, with with agony with a struggle joined together that you would struggle together in prayer in unity that you would come together and that you would be fervent in your prayers that you would earnestly labor in prayer together uh, agonizing in unity on Paul's behalf. And again, may we take this to heart. May we recognize the, the power of unified prayer. And we're not talking about just, just little prayers that we pray before a meal or little prayers that we uh, pray throughout our day. Or just little. We're talking about spending energy and effort in prayer. James said the effectual fervent prayer, that word fervent, has that same idea, that fervency, that agony, that the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so may there be times that we recognize in our life the power of coming together in prayer. It's one of the things I love uh, about our team here at Lifeline. We we value prayer in our ministry, and we we spend time in prayer every morning, but then there are certain times where we come together and fast and pray so that we would be strengthened, so that we would be encouraged, and so the work of the Lord would continue on. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, if you can do anything, for, if I can ask anything of you, if you love me, if you care for me, the greatest thing that you can do for me is to come together and strive together in unity in prayer before the Lord on my behalf. As we think about churches around the world, um, as we recognize the work of missionaries, of church planners, um, as we see the role of churches that we partner with as a ministry and, and as individuals, as we understand the, the role of the families that we serve, viewing them as, as gospel partners, um, as we see how God is calling and using different people in our ministry uh, and in our context, uh, may we together fervently pray that the gospel would go forth. May we pray that God would sustain and that God would strengthen those who are who are ultimately manifesting his gospel on the front lines. They're on the, the front lines of taking his gospel to the vulnerable, to the lost, to the broken in our communities and around the world. And may we never lose sight of the role that different individuals are playing. And may we uh, pray with, with, uh, with energy, with sacrifice, with sacrifice of our time. And uh, may we call out on behalf of the Lord, uh, on behalf 
behalf of those who are doing ministry, gospel ministry on the front lines, no matter what that looks like, no matter where they're located. Uh, May we never underestimate the power of prayer. May we be faithful to value prayer and to be people of prayer that, that call out to God together in unity. So what did Paul ask them to pray? He said, I want you to pray for me. And then he gave them some specific things that he wanted them to pray. And what should we pray when we think about others who are on the front lines of gospel ministry? When we think about families that are caring for vulnerable children, we think about those that are engaged in ministry to vulnerable families. When we think about those that are, that are planning churches and seeking to proclaim the gospel uh, in dark places around the world, what should we pray for them? This is what Paul asked. First of all, number one, he pray, he said, he asked them to pray that he would be safe from the attacks of unbelievers. Pray that he would be safe from the attacks of unbelievers, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. You see, Paul knew the, the danger that he was facing in returning to Jerusalem. He knew that the religious establishment, they hated him, right? And they wanted they would do everything in their power to thwart his ministry. Uh, maybe even they would they were even willing to kill him if necessary. They were gonna do everything they could to stop him. Uh, Satan does not want the gospel to go forth. And he and 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 his and his followers, they were do everything they can to stop the ministry of the gospel. Satan is our great enemy. He will use the devices of this world. He will use the people of this world to try to stop gospel proclamation, to try to stop gospel ministry from going forth. And we must pray that the gospel will not be hindered. We must pray that the gospel will go forth despite opposition from those without, despite opposition from those who do not know the Lord. Paul said, I I want you to pray for me that I will not give in to the attacks of unbelievers, that I will not succumb to those who are trying to stop ministry. But then he said, second, he said, pray also that his service would be received by those who know Christ, that his service would be received by those who know Christ. He says there uh, in verse 31, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers of Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. This word service, again, it's that diakonia, that 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 ministry, that service in the dust, ministry in the dust is literally what that means. Um, and, he said, and, and there were some within the church who were still a little bit leery of this gospel going out to the Gentiles. They were still a little bit leery about the these mysteries and these things that they didn't understand. And so Paul anticipated that some may not see his ministry as fruitful, that some would not receive him well, or maybe even would not receive the offering well. May we, though, pray that, that Christ followers will recognize the value of different types of people engaging in gospel ministry. May we pray that, that Christ followers will recognize different methods, different ways, different contexts in which the gospel is being presented. And may we pray that, that we as the church will be unified on the essentials, the things that matter, and that we would not let the non-essentials or differences in culture or, or, uh, or, or, or ways that we do things, may we not let those differences get in the way of getting the gospel message to the lost. Um, May we pray that the church would be um, open to the way that God uses different people in different backgrounds and different contexts to get the gospel to the world. And that was Paul's desire, that the church at Jerusalem would recognize the work that God was doing and that they would receive that well and they would be excited about it and seek to be a part of it. And may we pray that also as we pray for those on the front line. May we pray um, that people around them, that Christ followers around them would understand their ministry. and, And even when they don't understand it, that they would see God at work and that they would not try to hinder that, but that they would celebrate what God is doing in gospel ministry. So he he asked them to pray that he'd be safe from the attacks of unbelievers, that his service would be received by those who know Christ. And then he asked them to pray that his joy would remain, that his joy would remain. Look at the, the verse there um, that, that, I, that he says, um, 
Pray so that God, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul trusted in God's will. He trusted in God's sovereignty. But the truth is, Paul could not have envisioned what this next part of his life was going to look like. So he asked them to pray that as he goes through these trials, as he goes through these struggles, as he goes through these travel, tra- travels, that he would come back to them, that he would come to them with his joy intact, that he would come to them with uh, recognizing that a joy that is, that, is, that is unchanging, that is based on not our circumstances, but based on relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, thankfully, the, the offering was received well. Paul was kept safe from persecution. His life was spared, but his safety was found in being arrested. His safety was found in him being placed in prison. And that's ultimately what brought him even to Rome. He did make it to Rome, but he did so after being shipwrecked. And he arrived back in, he arrived there in Rome, bound in chains and under arrest. But even in these difficult circumstances, his joy remained. He recognizes, recognized the sovereignty of God and God's working. And as he, as we read about his time there in Rome in the, the last part of Acts, we see that he was refreshed by the company of these Roman believers. Their, their engagement in his life meant so much to him in those, in those last days. Uh, he was actually used by God while he was there in, in Rome under, under arrest. He was used to, to write Colossians, to write Philemon, uh, to write that great book of Ephesians, and even write to, to write the book of Philippians, which we know as the joy book. All this was while he was there in Rome under completely different circumstances than what he probably expected and what we would kind of view as ideal. But again, may we pray for those on the front lines of gospel ministry. May we pray that their joy will remain. May we pray that they will be refreshed by the fellowship of other believers, that they would be refreshed by the grace of God and that they would be comforted by the Holy Spirit. Folks, I don't have to tell you gospel ministry is hard. Doing God's work is not always sunshine and roses. There are struggles and there are difficulties, especially when you're seeking to serve and manifest the gospel to vulnerable children, to vulnerable families, and in dark places where the gospel has not gone forth. Manifesting the gospel to vulnerable children and families, it will challenge you and often come, you know, it'll come close to breaking you. And so we must pray that the joy of the Lord and the refreshment of the saints will be evident in the lives of those who are on the front lines. May we pray that that God's joy will be sensed, that God's joy will be experienced, that God's joy will be known. So may we follow this admonition that Paul gave, this request that Paul made of the church at Rome, and may we, as Christ followers today, be willing to pray for those who are on the front line of gospel ministry. Finally, kind of Paul kind of concludes this chapter in verse number 33 with a prayer and with a greeting uh, of doxology. He says, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. May that be true of each and every one of us as well. Uh, May God's peace rule and reign in our hearts and our lives. And may we be faithful to continue to follow the teachings and admonition of his word. This week, our prayer focus is on the country of India. So you join together with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, God, for the admonition and encouragement of your word and the reality of your gospel going forth. And Lord, as we think about that today, God, we think of the nation of India. Lord, uh, 95% of India's population is currently unreached and Lord, they need the gospel. And so we pray, God, that the gospel would go forth, that you would call laborers uh, to go and to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ there in that country. Lord, we pray that uh, it would continue to uh, remain open, Lord, the people in India would continue to remain open to adoption and the needs for 
vulnerable children, God, to find forever families. Lord, we pray that your church would step up and, uh, Lord, that you would raise up even, even Indian national pastors and uh, the national church there to, that it would grow uh, in that nation and that it would, uh, it would spread and that those Christ followers would see the need of stepping in and caring for vulnerable children. God, we're so grateful for our team, Lord, both here in the States as well as there in India uh, that serve these children well and serve families well. And we pray, God, that you would continue to strengthen them and guide them and direct them. God, we thank you for our unadopted partners there, Lord, that are on the front lines, God, of caring for vulnerable children, where they're uh, working together with church families, God, to, to raise up people to provide for housing and support and food and care uh, for the most vulnerable. And so, God, we pray that you would just sustain them, that you would strengthen them, that you would provide the resources necessary for them as well. Uh, Lord, we give you praise for the the almost 130 children that have been adopted through the India program here at Lifeline. And God, we pray that you just, again, would call more families to understand the needs of these children and be willing to uh, step into these hard places, God, and be willing to adopt uh, these children that need a forever family. God, again, we thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your work. We pray that uh, your gospel, again, would just continue to go forth in India and around the world, uh, that your church would continue to care for the most vulnerable among us, and uh, or that you'd be honored and glorified in it all. For it's in the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.